This episode is brought to you by WeatherGuard Lightning Tech. At WeatherGuard, we support design engineers and make lightning protection easy. You're listening to the Struck Podcast. I'm Dan Blewett. I'm Alan Hall. And here on Struck, we talk about everything aviation, aerospace engineering, and lightning protection. All right, welcome back. This is the Struck Podcast. This is episode 21. And on today's show, we've got a bunch of really interesting topics. First, in our news segment, we're going to cover um, a couple different things about the coronavirus downturn. So number one, Delta CEO Ed Bastian just released a letter announcing some of their outlook going forward. They just had a... uh, a tough, you know, period of laying off uh, a lot of people. And also they just had a bunch of employees accept early retirement. So we'll chat about that a little bit in his outlook. Uh, also an interesting article at the BBC on how jet planes are getting sent to boneyards, essentially. Um, also a little bit of lightning strike news because we are a lightning first show. Uh, a couple of people injured at a, a DHL hub. When a uh, lightning strikes, uh, lightning struck a ramp. It sounds like so. A couple of workers injured. We'll talk a little bit about that, which apparently happens more than people realize. Um, as we get into our engineering segment, we're going to talk a little bit about Honeywell, their UV cabin disinfection system. It's really interesting how all of the world is changing as far as cleanliness and disinfection, and uh, obviously the air, air, aircraft is no different. We'll also talk about the AVX aircraft, which is a really fascinating looking vehicle with a tilt rotor. It's and they're developing, I guess, that for the the U.S. Army. And then lastly, as we jump to some electric tech, the Dufour tilt wing EVTOL. So a lot of discussion on that. Really interesting design, very complex design. So Alan, let's start with news. We both just read. Uh, Ed Bastian, the Delta CEO's letter. What are some of your thoughts? They got to stop the cash burn. That's their, that's the thought. And yeah, twenty down to twenty seven million down from a hundred million per per day, per day, which is staggering. Three billion dollars a month. They used they were burning back in wow. March, April. Yeesh, wow, wow, money. All right, that's yeah. that's a lot of cash burn. The industry and what Delta, JetBlue, Southwest. American United are all trying to do is get the customer satisfaction numbers up so they can increase the ridership so they can fill some airplanes. Because I think the issue right now is consumer confidence that the aircraft are, and the airports themselves for that matter, are, are clean and that they're taking the precautions that we're being told about every 30 seconds that uh, the, the, that we're maintaining social distance, that we're wiping down the airplanes or cleaning the airplanes, and that uh, everybody on the airplanes are wearing masks. Uh, it seems to be a, a very effective way of dealing with it. But the, the, the problem is, is that I think people who are traveling, at least haven't seen any indication that um, there's been any sort of COVID transmission via airline flights. And we've been flying. We ain't never shut down the airlines. They've been flying. Uh, since this all started. So we have several months of data and thousands of flights, tens of thousands of flights at this point. Uh, It doesn't seem like there's a connection between COVID transmissions and flying in airplanes. That doesn't seem to be a thing. Let's let's shift forward here. So speaking of Delta, um, well, speaking of just the industry in general, these planes are ending up in boneyards now. So what does that mean exactly? 
Well, there's a couple of places across the United States, mostly in the desert uh, in the U.S. where, and I think Australia has a, a boneyard. I don't know about the U.K. I've never really seen one over there. But uh, when you decommission an airplane, you may want to bring it back. Uh, if they permanently decommission it, the aircraft gets used for spare parts, just like in an auto junkyard recycling center, I guess is what we call it now. Uh, so they go. <laughs> so if my my old Honda, uh, you know, is getting rusty and no longer of any use, I could send it to a, a salvage yard, and and they're going to either crush it or take parts off it, so someone else can use the parts to keep their automobile running. The same thing happens on airplanes. Of course, airplane parts are a lot more valuable than uh, automotive parts, and they have limited usage, right? So the there is a, a sort of a secondary market for parts. Um, even sections of airplanes get used for other testing purposes. I know we've been involved in a couple of different efforts where we've actually cut off a section of an aircraft that's in a boneyard uh, and use it for a test to get something approved mm-hmm. for the next generation of airplanes. So they have use, but there's a lot of, uh, if you go down to Arizona is the one I've been at a couple of times, there's a big boneyard down in Arizona uh, where they just park airplanes and and pull the engines off. Engines have a lot of value. Uh, avionics have a lot of value, but everything else is just a shell, right? So all the hydraulics and all the structure, pretty much not usable. Um, control surfaces, I guess, can be usable and reused. So there's, there's value in those aircraft, uh, but I'm I'm guessing that they're just getting a huge influx of aircraft right now. <laughs> like, where are you going to park them all? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so let's talk about this uh, lightning strike. So at a DH at DHL hub at uh, Cincinnati airport. Mm. So how does this happen? So they're uh-huh. on the ramp of a plane and lightning hit the ground or hit the, it doesn't, it's not clear where the lightning strike exactly touched down, but obviously it can just spread and hit anyone on the ground. I mean, that's how people die in parks and right. in forests and same, all that stuff. Right? Same problem. Yeah. 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 In an airport, uh, especially a busy hub, like a DHL or FedEx or UPS, where there's a lot of ground workers running around, uh, pulling, uh, packages and containers off on and off of an aircraft lightning in the area is usually means of shutting things down uh, just because the aircraft tend to be the highest things around particularly larger ones right so like a triple seven is probably the tallest thing at the airport or taller than the airport itself uh, so they get mm-hmm. so this aircraft gets struck and what happens is is that uh, it didn't get struck in the tail and the energy runs down and jumps over the the wheels to the tarmac and energizes the ground and everybody's around it gets knocked down and hurt because there's all kinds of current running through the concrete and the rebar and the concrete but it's there's a voltage there and usually the ground is wet because it's raining and everybody gets shocked and knocked out I mean, it, people have gotten killed doing that so there's usually procedures in place to to limit access to the ramp when there's been lightning and dan i don't know if you've ever traveled to florida uh, in the summertime where you pull up in the airplane and you can't get off because there's a thunderstorm coming. It's the same sort of thing. They don't want the ground crews out there when there's a mm-hmm. thunderstorm nearby because someone can get really hurt, really hurt. And the, the guys that wear the headsets and they plug into the airplane, those guys can get really, really hurt because the energy goes through that wire into their head. Oh, yeah. that's terrifying. That's terrifying. Yikes. Very dangerous. All right, so let's talk engineering a little bit. Uh, first thing, a, a quick one, JetBlue's testing Honeywell's UV cabin dis- disinfectant system. So 
if you imagine this, it just looks like a, uh, a service cart going down the aisle. And if you imagine you're just walking down the aisle just with your arms extended, um, you know, this thing <laughs> has two wings sort of extending out and yeah. just covering all the seats with, I guess, some sort of intense blue light uh, or UV light um, disin- you know, to disinfect these. So what do you, how do you feel about this? I know they've been using lots of different things like wipes, uh, electrostatic foggers, which I don't know what that is. It sounds terrifying. It sounds, it sounds like what you, you know, you put that huge blanket over your condo building and bomb all the bugs. But, similar. Yeah. Um, similar to that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but this seems like a pretty clean, like smart technology. I mean, it seems really mm-hmm. like just roll down the aisle, takes 10, 15 minutes and everything's good to go. Mm-hmm. But well, I don't know. Uh, it, I, I had seen this device when I saw this uh, little news article pop out this week. I thought, I've seen that before. And Honeywell did not invent this thing. Honeywell actually acquired a company that that had created it a while ago. Uh, and uh, it was a smaller company, and they had done some initial research on it. I forget the name of the company. It's, it's, it's at the tip of my tongue, so it may pop out. But the they had developed this uh, UVC ultraviolet light in the C spectrum is ABC. So uh, the, the the ultraviolet C spectrum tends to kill a lot of virus and bacteria. And they had done a bunch of uh, initial studies. I'm not sure how deep. And I this article didn't really talk about that either. Like, how sure are they this kills coronavirus? Yeah. I, yeah. They said there's several studies that are trying to understand the effect of UVC light, but it doesn't sound super conclusive. But right, I guess everything's better than nothing at this point. So no one's arguing about sending this down the aisle for ten minutes. But right, but at it the is, same it, time we don't really know. It isn't like a. Oh, it kind of looks like if you ever run run a snowblower and you got the little cover over top of you, and you're kind of pushing this thing along. It's got it's kind of got that snowblower shield around you, so you don't mm-hmm. get exposed to a lot of UV light. Uh, yeah. The the problem here's the problem. Here's the really the bigger problem in, in my opinion. The UVC light and UV light in general may work great, and it may kill all the bacteria and viruses that are in the cabin. But the plastics that are in the cabin probably are not very temp- are not going to like the UV light. Uh, plastics become yellow over time. You expose them to a lot of UV light. Uh, I know there's there's additives that are placed in them sometimes to keep them from yellowing. But if you make the the components the plastic components brittle then you're trashing an aircraft interior and maybe you know that's the cost of doing business today but it seems like someone better do that quick study at airbus and boeing to make sure that they don't make their cabin over bins and all this all the little plastic parts brittle that'll be bad it's just just getting destroyed by one you know i mean those things go through a lot of abuse trying to slam it to get your way too big bag that you definitely should have checked that <laughs> yes. you're wasting everyone's time we can't take off because your bag's never going to fit in there and you're slamming the thing down yeah so those are just going to start shattering now well Perfect. that's what happens is that the, everything gets brittle because what the uv light does is it breaks molecular bonds that's wh- essentially what it does you think mm-hmm. of all this plastic being uh molecules that are bonded together it UV light just breaks those bonds, it breaks those apart. So it's not as strong as it once was. And and when you impact it, those impacts will do damage. And that, you know, yeah. behind all that stuff, I know it, it seems hard to think about because you don't see it. 
But uh, behind those baggage compartments and above and behind all the, the panels on the plastic panels on the side are aircraft systems. So there's all kinds of wire harnesses, important uh, air ducts, all these other things, hydraulic lines, all these things you need to fly the airplane are behind there. And that interior provides that barrier between you and this critical aircraft system or some not necessarily critical, but there's some aircraft systems that are behind there you don't want to have broken. Uh, so if the interior gets fragile, how much buffer do you have there? That's that's not that's not good. Yeah. So AVX aircraft is studying capabilities that can compound coaxial rotor and tilt rotor technologies. Uh, this sounds like this is uh, for the U.S. Army. This is a, a crazy looking plane. It looks really cool. Yeah. It's got a wing. It's got a ducted pair of ducted fans on both sides on the rear and then two uh rotors so how do you feel about this design it looks complex it is complex but sikorsky beat them to the punch i know they're trying to separate themselves on sikorsky because sikorsky and has had that defiant platform for a long time or at least two years i think where they've been setting speed records with uh, essentially two uh main rotors that are kind of rotating and a pusher propeller in the back, and man, that that thing can fly. Uh, so they know there's there's potential in it. Whether <laughs> uh, when you have very very leading edge technology, which is what these things are, because um, you're talking about an aer- aerodynamics that we don't know a lot about, especially with rotating uh, components. And I remember when the Sikorsky there was a. Uh, when Sikorsky was first doing that, that there was a lot of controversy whether it was going to work or not, and uh, obviously it did. So now there's other people trying to get into that into that game, but I, I still wonder how much knowledge there is in that particular space of the aerodynamics and and how things perform because it's it's when you <laughs> anything that's counter rotating is trouble. Uh, if you think about it, all the mechanisms that are involved, there's a, there's a lot to it. It's not simple. Yeah. So, is the certification process for this going to be tough? I mean, is the is the certification Ooh. process different when it's a military vehicle? Uh, yes and no. The military can set their own rules, but they haven't. Well, they have. So, for things that are derived civilian uh, aircraft, they will apply their own. They, they, the FAA can get involved in it. Uh, so there's actually a military office at the FAA that deals with the military services. So there's parts of the aircraft which should comply to the FAA regulations, and there's the military parts that the FAA looks the other way at. Um, if it's a, a unique, non-standard uh, military application, then pretty much the military server is going to say what's happening with that thing. Uh, doesn't mean that there's not oversight, but... Uh, there's a little more leeway, in my opinion. There's a little more leeway because there's no rules. That's, there's not as many uh, specific regulations yeah. because it's such a new device. How are you going to do that? Because you, you know, the regulations never really envisioned this. This is the same thing we're having with the vertical takeoff and landing stuff uh, that's going on between the Europeans and the United States, where the United States says, well, we don't even need to make new rules. We, we have existing rules and we can work it out. And the Europeans are saying, we need to create this whole set of new rules. Uh, yeah, it's uh, somebody's got to set the standard so that the aircraft doesn't fall out of the sky. Not sure who that is, but in this particular case, it's going to be really complicated because the aerodynamics are so complex. Gotcha. 
Well, speaking of complex, um, let's go to our final segment here and chat a little bit about uh, the EVTOL market. And so Dufour is testing their tilt wing EVTOL. Uh, they've completed 550 flights of this interesting design. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about it? So it basically looks like a pretty standard plane, like small, small aircraft, but their whole wing will angle upward allowing it to vertically take off and right. then angle back and then get going. So, um, you know, this is like one of the, I mean, we've seen, so we've looked at so many of these EVTOL right. models. So, I mean, so many different designs yeah. and this one, it looks a little nicer in the rendering. I think it looks like kind of more sleek than it does in this actual, uh, actual photo from flight and the actual flight photo makes it look like a toy, but Anyway, what do you think about this this tech? Well, any of these uh, EVTOL aircraft have uh, similar issues that they're trying to work through, I think, which is, are they safe enough to put a human in? Because most of the test flights I've seen have not had any human in them. Um, same thing here with Dufour's uh, product. It doesn't look like there's anybody in it. Now, what happens when they start to put humans in it, it's they got to go through a safety assessment process or safety process of figuring out how the different ways uh, that a system can go wrong and think of the aircraft as, as one big system made up of a lot of little systems, uh, how those systems interact with one another, how you can get into trouble and how you can crash the airplane. And when you start going down these pathways on probabilistic failure modes, um, the more complex you make something, the more likely it's going to fail in a horrible way. That's generally how it goes. So when you start playing around with aerodynamics, like they're doing, like they're moving the whole wing. Um, if you remember when they had the, uh, what's the spaceship, the Virgin Galactic spaceship, right? Um, where they dropped off the aircraft and it had the rocket and it shot up into, shot up into space had that uh, rocket motor in the back of it, right? And they had that one that sort of self-destructed because they, kicked in the badminton system too early they just bumped they bumped a switch and it just started deploying the tail up and it created aerodynamic loads and the thing just came apart well yeah uh it seems like a lot of these aircraft are going to have similar problems they have they thought through all the safety systems and and all the different safety modes and that's why i think in part when you go through all these things that have rotating structures uh especially wings oh my gosh uh loss of an actuator or uh, an actuator going crazy or responding in a way or having a computer get upset or multiple computers getting upset or having some sort of weird scenario where it does the unexpected, it just results in these bad, bad outcomes. So I know that sounds weird to say, but you know, they're usually people that make a good bit of money on aircraft designs are the aerodynamicists because they're, they're the smart people in the room. But <laughs> that's going to change, in my opinion. I think the smart people in the room are going to be the system safety uh, engineers that are going through the going through the probabilities, looking at the way the aircraft can get into a bad mode and crash, and then figure out a way that the aircraft doesn't crash. And how do you make redundancies in the system or in design so that it still remains lightweight but works? Yeah. So the the people that have the um, yeah, there's a lot of different sort of industry standards sae has a number of them but essentially it comes down to this that's that's a that is a skill set 
a very unique skill set. You don't see a lot, and I tend to run across the same people over and over and over again in that industry. Uh, they could pretty much ask for whatever they want to right now, in my opinion. Us electrical people, you know, we, we're kind of a dime a dozen, but system safety people are going to be extremely rare and valuable, especially the good ones that they can look at their aircraft and go, yeah, no, <laughs> that's not going to happen. And we need to fix this aircraft design. Otherwise we can't certify it because your worst scenario as a company is to think you have a certifiable design and then realize two years in after you built the first flight configure flight uh, uh, aircraft that you can't do it that you can't yeah. certify it after you spent a hundred, 200, 500 million dollars that all of a sudden your configuration won't fly or be certified. That's, that's a killer. That's totally a killer. You literally wasted all of that, all of those millions. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's and that's crazy. why I think some of these things have kind of kind of gone underground. You, you saw a lot of news and press six, well, in COVID it's not helping, but a year ago, there's a lot of fanfare about a lot of these different eVTOLs and then quiet. And, all, and if you watch the, the job listings, what are they looking for? Safety people. A lot of safety people or top-level safety people, essentially, uh, to come fill roles so they can figure out whether they're going to be wasting money or not. It's, it's a $100, $500 million killer. It is. It just is. So if I'm a safety, safety guy today or person, I'm going to go ask for a lot of money, and I, I will probably get it. All right. Well, that'll do it for today's episode of Struck. If you're new to the show, thank you so much for listening and please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out the WeatherGuard Lightning Tech YouTube channel for video episodes, full interviews, and short clips from the show. And follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Our handle is at WGLightning. Tune in next Tuesday for another great episode on aviation, aerospace engineering, and lightning protection. Strike Tape, WeatherGuard Lightning Tech's proprietary lightning protection for radomes, provides unmatched durability for years to come. If you need help with your radome lightning protection, reach out to us at weatherguardaero.com. That's weatherguardaero.com.